0: What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the latest edition of the I May Be Wrong podcast. I'm your host, Ryan White. Glad to have you back with me. Hope everybody's week is going well so far. There's a lot that's been going on and a lot of things that we're going to dive into today. We'll discuss who the top team in the NFL is. We'll talk about the MVP race, also some of the drama that's taken place recently. And of course, this Sunday's big matchup between the Dallas Cowboys and my New England Patriots. But first, Before we get into all of that, we got to talk about the biggest headline that came out of last weekend's action. Alabama quarterback Tua Viola, I hope I got that right. It's it's a tough name. (laughs) Tua went down Saturday in the second quarter against Mississippi State. He was heard screaming in pain. He couldn't even walk, so they had to cart him out, cart him to the locker room. Everyone was suspecting that it was one of his ankles again. He had tightrope surgery performed on the left ankle last season, and about three weeks ago, he had that same surgery performed on his right ankle. But then news broke that neither of those was the issue. He had suffered a severe hip injury, essentially the same injury that ended the great Bo Jackson's career. They had to put his hip back in place immediately so that things wouldn't get worse. He had surgery on Monday morning, and the report is that he'll make a full recovery. Now let's talk about how this injury happened. Alabama was up 35 to 7 in the second quarter with close to two minutes left in the first half. The question everybody has been asking is why was he still in the game? You're up 35 to 7 in the second quarter. You just have, you just got him back two weeks ago for the LSU game after not having him for the previous two weeks because he was recovering from, from that tightrope surgery. So you'd think naturally Nick Saban and his staff would err on the side of caution. After the game, when Nick Saban was asked why Tua was still in at that point, Saban said that he had backup Mac Jones warming up, but Tua came over and talked him men to letting him run the two-minute drill to finish out the half. Saban obliged, and two plays later, the injury took place, and now Tua's season is over. Now, you have pundits like Colin Coward and these quote-unquote diehard Alabama fans calling for Nick Saban's job. That is utterly ridiculous to me. How spoiled are Alabama fans? I mean, seriously. They lost one game to arguably the, t- the best team in the country, and now to his injury, and all of a sudden they're calling for Saban's job? Come on, man. That's just stupid. If y'all don't want him, we will gladly, gladly take him in Austin, Texas. I like Tom Herman a lot, but damn it, this season has been a big disappointment. You can blame it on injuries, the the youth, whatever. This ain't what I expected from my longhorns at all. But I digress. It's easy to second-guess Nick Saban, but ultimately, it doesn't matter. What's done is done. Now I'm left here thinking about Tua's future. For the past year, he's been regarded as the number one pick for the 2020 draft. But now this? Word is that he has a $25 million insurance policy that's going to kick in, that will kick in in case an injury like this took place. And even though he's covered, it still sucks to see an injury like that happen to him. This is somebody who was highly regarded for the past year as the number one overall pick coming up for this 2020 draft. Now, the expectation is that he'll be able to resume football activities by the spring. To what extent, we don't know. The draft is in April, and as of now, many are expecting him to fall because of his injury. Joe Burrow has moved up into the QB1 slot, and I don't mind that, because to be honest with you, this could be a blessing in disguise for Tua. I wouldn't mind seeing him fall in the draft, because hopefully he'd fall to a team with a good offensive line and a couple of weapons in place to surround him. That is the complete opposite of the situation he'd be in if this injury never happened, and he was likely to go number one like everybody expect, like everybody expected. I mean, given Tua's injury history, would we really want to see him with the Cincinnati Bengals behind that offensive line? He'd be hurt so fast. I don't want to say it would be a setup for failure, but it damn sure ain't setting him up for success. Especially with A.J. Green on the final year of his contract, and he can't stay healthy either, so he's about to be out of there. So the Bengals would essentially have zero weapons for Tua if he would have went number one or was to still go number one overall. If he ends up falling in the draft, it's not a big deal to me. It'll probably be a better situation for him. You know why I wouldn't mind seeing him fall? To that back end of the draft. You know, those last, I don't know, four picks, 28, 29, 30, 31, 32, something like that. Well, that's five. but y'all get it. I wouldn't mind seeing him fall to those last three or four picks of the first round. You know why? Because my team, the New England Patriots, typically drafts around that time. So think about this. All these rumors about Tom Brady leaving or retiring, either way, there's a lot of people saying he won't be in New England next year. What better way or what better situation could happen other than Tua falling all the way to that 31 or 32 pick and the Patriots taking him? Not only would it be great for Tua, but it would be great for the Patriots because now there's no solid answer as to who will replace Tom Brady. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I know a lot of y'all probably want him somewhere else. I get that. But I want him in New England. The ideal situation would be for him to come in and sit for a year behind Tom Brady. But as I said, we don't know where Tom Brady will be. But this is all just wishful thinking. Best of luck to Tua. Prayers up to him. Wishing him nothing but a speedy recovery. Ladies and gentlemen, we are in week 12 of the NFL season. And I still don't know who the best team is. I still couldn't tell you who the top team is. I know everybody thinks it's an easy answer and expects me to say the Ravens, but I'm hesitant. Yes, I know they're on a roll. They beat my team. Yes, I know Lamar Jackson is the front runner for the MVP trophy. Yes, I know that the defense has taken it to another level since the trade for Marcus Peters. However, I'm still not sure. I want to see how they play when and if anybody is able to slow that running game down. Or how the offense responds when the defense is having a bad game. I have a lot of questions. And not only about them, but I also have questions about the, the other three or four top teams. With the Patriots, I question the offense being able to develop some chemistry and actually get into a rhythm. We haven't seen it yet. The running game has been non-existent, but maybe that'll change this weekend when they get the, their left tackle, Isaiah Wynn, back. As far as the receiver position, outside of Julian Edelman, they're still looking for answers. The guys haven't been able to get separation downfield, and Tom Brady is clearly growing frustrated. Then you you switch over and you look at the 49ers. I still have questions about Tom Brady's former mentee, Jimmy Garoppolo. Two weeks ago, after Emmanuel Sanders went down with an injury, Jimmy G looked lost. There were some errant throws. He was making some bad decisions toward the end of the game. Ultimately, they went to overtime and ended up losing to the Seahawks at home. And then this past Sunday, they barely scraped by the Arizona Cardinals for a victory. So I, I just have questions. Then you switch over and you look at the Seahawks. Their defense is a big question mark for me. That secondary, on the back end, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Not sure how they'll hold up once they come across a really good passing attack. You look at the New Orleans Saints. My question for them is, will anybody else be able to step up if they come across a team that's actually able to slow down Michael Thomas's production? Lord knows that's easier said than done, because that man is having a hell of a season right now. 94 catches, 1,141 yards, five touchdowns. He's on pace for 150 receptions, which will break Marvin Harrison's record of 143 from 2002 back in the day when he was with Peyton Manning and the Colts. Before the season started, I had Michael Thomas at fifth on my top 10 receivers, but After the season is over, I definitely have to reevaluate that list. Trust me on that. I'm going to do it. Now let's take a second and address all the drama that's been going on here in the past seven days with the NFL. We'll start with number one. Colin Kaepernick was given the opportunity to have a workout last Saturday. The buzz started about last Wednesday. Everyone got news that the workout was going to take place. The NFL was finally going to give him a chance, so things were looking up. Then on Friday, the night before the workout, you start hearing rumblings of, well, things might be changing. Colin Colin Kaepernick is uh, thinking about changing the location of the workout. He's uh, having a disagreement with the NFL of some sort. Nobody really knew the details, but they knew it was taking a turn. Saturday morning, it was announced that Colin Kaepernick had moved the workout from the original location to about 30 minutes away from where it was supposed to be because he didn't want to do it the NFL's way. He wanted to do it his way. The NFL wanted him to sign a liability waiver in case he was injured during the workout. He didn't agree with what was on that contract, so he had his team type up their own liability waiver, and it just went on and on. Ultimately, he did end up having a workout, but instead of the 24 scouts that were going to be at the NFL's original location, only eight scouts went to the high school where he had his workout. So for the past few days, everybody's been up in arms, having their own opinion about, you know, how should he have done it? Did he go about it the wrong way? Stephen A. Smith came out and said he highly disagreed with the way Colin Kaepernick handled the workout, uh, a lot of people felt that way, but then there were a whole lot of people who came back at Stephen A and calling him all types of names. Uh, we won't get into the details, but they just they completely disagreed with it, and they had no problem with the way Kaepernick carried himself. So now you have all of these pundits going back and forth, back and forth, just going at each other's throat. Who's wrong? Who's right? He should have done it this way. Kaepernick should have done it this way. The NFL is wrong. Kaepernick's right, and vice versa. And it, to me, it's all for nothing Because if we're going to be real about it, it's been three years since Colin Kaepernick has played a game in the NFL. Y'all want my opinion? I'll give you my honest opinion right now. He's never going to play down in the NFL again. And it has nothing to do with his talent. It has everything to do with what he did and him kneeling and the reputation the NFL got from it, the negative publicity they received from it. All of these things, all of these things tie into it. And ultimately, the NFL is a good old boys club. So majority of the 32 owners feels a certain way about Kaepernick, and that's clear. If We're going to be honest on this show. He's been blackballed out of the NFL. Let's call it what it is. He'll probably never get a job again. We we all know that, and the proof is in the pudding. It's right in front of your face. It's been three years since he's played. So why all of a sudden are they giving him a workout and giving him a chance? Well... According to some people, Jay-Z went through a lot at once he made that partnership with the NFL. Uh, Jay-Z just stayed on the NFL owners and, and some executives about getting him this workout. Let's get him this workout. We can't just drop this. Let's address this. Let's get him a workout. A lot of people were looking at it as a publicity stunt, and honestly, I think it was a publicity stunt on the NFL's part. You've had zero interest in signing this man for three years. And now all of a sudden you're gonna give him a random workout out of nowhere. Which, hey, he said he's always ready to go, so that really wasn't the problem. He was ready, he did have, from what they said, a decent workout. But at the end of the day, like I said, it's a good old boys club. Those owners had their minds made up a long time ago. Didn't matter how he was gonna perform, they had their mind made up a long time ago. This was a workout that was out of courtesy. They did it to get it out of the way and just sweep it under the rug so that they don't have to hear about it again. That's how I feel. Otherwise, we wouldn't see guys like Ryan Finley or Ryan Fitzpatrick, Jeff Driscoll, and the list goes on and on and on about all these backup quarterbacks that we've seen this year get a chance to play. Colin Kaepernick has been to a Super Bowl, led his team to the Super Bowl, lost in the final minute of that game. Some people will say, well, his projection was falling off by the time he was out of the NFL anyway, so blah, blah, blah. Well, that's not even... I mean, you can look at it that way, but let's remember he was hurt at that time. All I'm saying is you look around at some of the quarterbacks that have gotten a chance over these past few years, and you mean to tell me Colin Kaepernick can't compete with those guys? Come on. But like I said, it is what it is. He's more than likely done. So everyone who's arguing and going back and forth about how the workout was handled, you could save yourself a lot of time if you just face reality and know what's done is done. He's not going to play again. It's plain and simple. Now let's jump over to last Thursday night. Last Thursday night's game between the Steelers and the Browns. I'm sure by now everybody has seen the brawl and what happened between Miles Garrett and Mason Rudolph and Mason Rudolph's lineman coming to his defense, Marquise Pouncy uh, and David DeCastro coming to Mason Rudolph's defense. And then you had Larry Ogandelli came up behind Rudolph and pushed him once everything was starting to settle down. But everybody's been suspended now Everybody Except for Mason Rudolph Miles Garrett Suspension is indefinite They're saying it's probably going to lead into next year Maybe four or five games to start next season To me that's kind of ridiculous But again You can't swing a helmet (laughs) At a player and connect You can't swing a helmet One but to connect to his head On national television Primetime game Come on, man. You know what the NFL is going to do. They're going to try to set an example. And that's what they're doing right now. So we'll see how long his suspension lasts. Ogundelli, or whatever, however you pronounce his last name, the one who had the little sucker push on Rudolph, he got a one-game suspension. And Marquis Pouncey just had his his suspension reduced from three games to two for the punches he, he threw and also for the, the kick to Miles Garrett's head. Now, to me... Pouncy, in my opinion, really didn't do anything wrong. You kicked somebody in the head that had a helmet on, so whatever, but you came to the defense of your quarterback like 99% of the NFL linemen would do for their quarterbacks. The main person in the situation that I have a problem with is Mason Rudolph. How in the hell are you going to suspend everybody involved except for the person who had the main role in starting it and initiating everything? Yes, Miles Garrett did tackle him. on that play and take him down. That's what defenders do. But because Mason Rudolph had thrown, what, three or four interceptions that night, he was already frustrated. There's eight seconds left on the clock. So Miles Garrett's on top of him, and you see them kind of tussling. You see Mason Rudolph trying to rip Garrett's helmet off. Miles Garrett took offense to that, and while he was standing up, he pulled Mason Rudolph up by his helmet. He then ripped it off of his head. He was backing off. Everybody had them separated. Mason Rudolph ran after him. He swings the helmet. The rest is history. But to me, you cannot, Mason Rudolph can't go unpunished. To give him a little fine, that's a little slap on the wrist. The guy, you kept escalating the situation from the beginning. Once Miles Garrett let you up, you went after him. They separate you. You go after him again. And so it kept going. He swings the helmet. And and, like I said, it's just, it doesn't make sense to me. I feel he should at least be suspended for one game. I don't think he should be suspended for two games, three games, none of that, but one game for sure. If you're going to hold people accountable, you need to hold everybody accountable. That's just how I feel about it. Now, let's move on to the MVP race. We all know who the front runner is. That's Lamar Jackson. And you got Russell Wilson trying to close that gap right behind him. But I don't want to talk about either of them. I want to talk about someone who has thrown their name into the conversation recently. No, not Christian McCaffrey, not Aaron Rodgers, not Patrick Mahomes. I'm talking about none other, none other than Dakota Rain Prescott, aka Dak. Before some of y'all get mad and take us, before some of y'all get mad, take a second and hear me out first. I saw a stat the other day that had a list of, of quarterbacks with the most wins since 2016. Number one was Tom Brady with 40, 44. Number two, it was a tie at 38, between Russell Wilson and Dak Prescott. Now, of course, those numbers are more nuanced than we think, seeing as how Zeke Elliott led the league in rushing for two out of those three seasons, and the Cowboys' bread and butter was their running game. But this year, it's a different story. Even after paying Zeke that record-setting contract, the Cowboys are now a passing team. Dak leads the league in passing yards with 3,221, His first two and a half years, he was somewhere around 194 yards per game. His last 20 games, he's averaging 298 yards. This season alone, he's averaging 322 passing yards per game. He's been spreading the ball around. You got Amari Cooper, who's among the top receivers in the league when it comes to yardage. Michael Gallup is nearing 700 yards right now, and Randall Cobb is at 500, and there's six games to go. Dak is known for being the first guy into the facility and the last guy to leave. He's worked his ass off to improve his game, and it's pretty apparent that the work is paying off. You see his little warm-up that's going viral now uh, because it looks like he's dancing, but but even that warm-up is part of the small changes that he's made to his mechanic. He has the intangibles that a lot of quarterbacks in the NFL lack. He's a gamer, and he's a leader. He doesn't do a lot of talking. He leads with his play, and for this season, he's been playing pretty well, with the exception of that Jets game and those three picks against the Packers. He still ended up almost throwing for 500 yards against the Packers, but still, it didn't look too great. I love the improvement we've seen out of Dak, because for the past three years, like I said, everybody was bashing him, saying he's a weak link, and now the story has changed. Don't get mad at me. I told you all before, I give credit where credit is due, and damn it, Dak deserves credit for what he's done this season. Some of y'all probably sitting there yelling those numbers came against bad teams. And yeah, while that's true, some of that's true, he did do pretty well against the Vikings two weeks ago. But for those of us that are still left with questions about that, I think a lot of those questions are going to be answered this weekend when they travel to Foxborough, Massachusetts to play the New England Patriots. It's the number one defense in the league, allowing 10.8 points per game. Bill Belichick is known for taking your strength away and making you go with plan B. In this case, plan B is Zeke. To me, that's a good thing for Dallas. Teams have been able to run the ball against the Patriots. They just haven't been able to score much. Like I said defense is allowing 10.8 points per game. The Cowboys offense is averaging quite a bit more than that, but we'll see how Sunday goes. Some people are saying, well, maybe they should switch it up this week. Since people have been having success on the ground against the Patriots, maybe we'll see a whole lot of Zeke this week. And while I do think that's true and Zeke will be heavily involved, I don't think that they need to switch switch up what they're doing. Dak is hot right now. Keep letting him do what he's doing. Now, on the flip side, as I said earlier, the Patriots offense is still struggling to find its rhythm. The running game has been bad. The passing game hasn't looked great recently. We've seen, we've seen them make several changes at the receiver position, whether it was having Antonio Brown for one game, then releasing him because all his drama or cutting Josh Gordon, who's now in Seattle. We've seen Philip Dorsett have a little success, but now he's out with a concussion. Undrafted receiver Jacoby Myers doing okay. Then they traded for Mohamed Sanu, who's having a little bit of an impact so far. You know, it's still taking him time to get that offense down. And now they're adding first round their first round pick, Nikhil Harry, into the mix. He's finally coming off of IR uh, last week, so we'll see how he does. He had his first game this past Sunday, had two or three catches. He looked pretty good, but. Again, Tom Brady needs a receiver that's going to be a dog out there that can get separation downfield and make defenses fear him. That'll just open things up for Edelman to do what he does, running those underneath routes that Tom Brady loves so much. Despite all of this lack of chemistry on offense, the Patriots are still 9-1. and one. one of my favorite things about the Patriots is that they just find a way to win. Whether it means the defense forcing a couple turnovers, the special teams making some plays, getting turnovers of their own, or controlling the field position with good punts, keeping people pinned back, or whether it's Tom Brady throwing a lateral to Edelman and Edelman throwing that downfield to Dorsett for a touchdown like you saw this past Sunday against the Eagles, it doesn't matter. They find ways to win, plain and simple. As concerning as the Patriots' offense has been this season, I think the Cowboys' issues on defense are a little bit more concerning. Coming into this season, they were receiving a lot of hype, but they haven't lived up to it yet. Demarcus Lawrence got that big contract, and he just hasn't looked the same. He hasn't looked as good as he did last season. I love their young linebacking combo of Jalen Smith and Leighton Van Der Esch, but they've been inconsistent this year. You look at the back end, and not much has changed. They still don't force a lot of turnovers or make game-changing plays, but they're, they're solid. One bright spot for the Cowboys, however, has been the addition of Robert Quinn. I've been a big fan of him since he came out of North Carolina quite a while ago. I think he came out in 2011 or 2012. But Robert Quinn actually leads the team in sacks this year. He's got eight and a half. They also made a trade with the Patriots for Michael Bennett a couple weeks ago, and he's starting to look pretty good. He had a couple sacks recently here. And it wasn't that anything crazy happened while Bennett was in New England. They just simply didn't need him. They're deep on, on the defensive line. They're deep at linebacker. They just really didn't have a place for him, and his snaps were decreasing more and more each week. But I'm sure he'll have a chip on his shoulder for this game. I like Michael Bennett, love his play. I'm sure he's going to come into this game and try to wreck it and get to Tom Brady as much as possible. We all know the way to rattle Tom Brady is to provi- if you can provide pressure with a four-man front, you're in good good standings. So with Quinn and Bennett and Lawrence and whoever their fourth is, if they can put some pressure on them, the Cowboys can make this a tight game. I think it's going to be a close game. I've already been talking noise to some friends about it. Now let me tell you one thing. I'm never one to initiate the the trash talking. But if you say something to me, I'm going to throw it right back at you. So after hearing all my friends tell me how the Cowboys are going to kill the Patriots on Sunday, I got to quickly remind y'all, the Cowboys have not beaten a team with a winning record this season. And I don't think it's going to happen on Sunday. Y'all know I'm rolling with my pats. I think the Cowboys can keep it close. These are the type of games they typically can surprise people. But it's tough to go into Foxborough and get a win. That's tough. Since 2010, the Patriots record at home is 67-9. and 67-9. and And even more... Tom Brady at home on Sundays in the regular season and postseason when the Patriots have the lead at the end of the third quarter they are 94 and 0 at home 94 and 0 so going into New England and getting a W is no easy task now if the Cowboys are able to pull it off I won't be shocked y'all know me like I said I'm gonna give credit where credit is due do I think it's gonna happen no I think the Patriots are pissed off right now Brady's pissed off right now. They're frustrated with the way they've been performing on offense. I actually think Tom Brady's going to play with the chip or come out with a chip on his shoulder like he does every year. I think this game even more so. But ultimately, I'm rolling with my pats. Y'all know what it is. Let's go, New England. Get this W. Let's get to 10-1. and 1. Keep a little distance between us and the Ravens for that one seed going into the playoffs. We will need that home field advantage I don't really want to see them go to Baltimore and have to play Lamar Jackson in Baltimore in a playoff game. I'd rather them, if that's how it happens, I'd rather them come to New England. So Sunday afternoon at 325, we're going to see what the Cowboys are about. I've been talking about them nearly every show, how I, I think they're good this year. I think they'll do something we haven't seen them do in quite a while. And I'm actually not against the Cowboys. I just, you know, this Sunday I'm against them for sure. I live in the Metroplex, so I, I can't have them beat my team. I'm going to have to hear that for the next five years, even if the Cowboys don't do anything in the postseason. They cannot not even make the playoffs, and I'm still going to have to hear about how they beat the Patriots. But like I said, I don't think that's going to happen. We'll see on Sunday, and I will damn sure get back to you all next week, and we will be talking about it. I'm going to have a special guest on next week as well. One of my boys is coming to join me. He's been wanting to get on for a while, and he is a minnesota vikings fan told y'all i had a few of them never never friends i don't know how it happened but i don't know there's are skull till they die but anyway thank y'all for listening i appreciate y'all as always taking time out to check me out Uh, go follow my instagram page i may be wrong podcast underscore after every word let's go get this win on sunday new england i may be wrong but i doubt it i'll talk to y'all next week thank you